السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل وسلم على نبينا محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كتاب العلم The book of knowledge What is العلم The correct recognition of something to have a solid understanding of what something is, to have the correct ma'rifah of something. And all of the verses of the Qur'an, as well as the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which tell us about the excellence, the virtue of knowledge, which kind of knowledge is that? The knowledge of the religion. So this shows to us that there's two types of ilm. One knowledge is that of the deen, of the sharia, the knowledge of the religion. And the other knowledge is that of the dunya, of this world. And the knowledge of the dunya is further divided into many categories as well. One knowledge is that which is beneficial to people. Another is that which is neither beneficial nor harmful. And another is that which is harmful, which is detrimental. An example of knowledge that is beneficial, like knowledge of medicine, healthcare, so on and so forth. Knowledge that is harmful, For example, magic. Or for example, if a person goes and studies philosophy to such an extent that completely damages his brain and he cannot think properly, right? It makes him completely twisted in his understanding, in his perception, in the way that he, in his outlook. So it's harmful. It is harmful for him. And knowledge that is neither beneficial nor harmful. Any example of that? Knowledge that is a complete waste of time. Like for example, sports. One is that, okay, this is a team, that's another team, okay, this is the game that's going on. Okay, but then the way people obsess over it, this is the player, these are the games that he's played, and he's good at this particular thing in the game, and on based on that, there are predictions that are made, based on that, you know, the players, the sportsmen, they're traded, their pay is based on that. I mean, and reviews And so much is done, so much study is done on all of this. So all of this knowledge is what? It's not beneficial. It's not harmful even. It's a waste. It's a complete waste. So depending on what kind of knowledge the knowledge of the dunya is, is its ruling. If it's beneficial, it's a means of attaining reward. If it's harmful, it's a means of attaining sin. And if it's neither useful nor harmful, then it's a waste of your life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will question us about what we did in our lives. So this is why we should be careful about what information we are exposing ourselves to what we are learning and what we are transmitting. Now with regards to knowledge of the deen, we learn that it is extremely virtuous. And we see that the first chapter, the first chapter in this book that Imam Bukhari writes is, Bab Fadlil Ilmi, the excellence of knowledge, the virtue of knowledge. Which knowledge? Of the Sharia. Meaning how rewarding it is, how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes it, how beneficial it is. And there are many texts of the Qur'an and Sunnah that tell us about the virtue of the knowledge of the deen. Of them, Imam Bukhari writes only two. وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ دَرَجَاتِ وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرٌ وَقَوْلِهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Two statements from the Qur'an, two verses. First of all, that Allah elevates the rank of those people who have iman and those people who have 
ilm. And secondly, that, O oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. If you look at the first verse, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the status of those people who have iman and those people who have ilm. What does it show? That iman is a source of darajah, is a source of high darajat in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, what increases the darajat of a person even more is what? Ilm, knowledge. So all people of iman, they have a high status in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what will increase that status even further? What will raise it even further? Knowledge, ilm. So it is a means of adding darajat upon iman. And this is why we see that there are ulama, those people who are very knowledgeable of the deen, who are rasikhuna fil ilm, and who are sincere to the people, that they are very much honored by the people, even though they may be less than them in wealth and even in worldly status. It's amazing that you may see a person who is not as wealthy, who is not even you know, from a very prestigious family or anything like that, but still he is very much honored and respected by the people. So what is it that is bringing him all that respect? It is his ilm, it is his knowledge. It raises a building that has no pillar. A building that has no pillar, ilm will elevate it. So a person who has nothing else that can elevate his rank, if he has knowledge, he will be elevated. He will have a very high rank. And on the other hand, وَالْجَهْلُ يَهْدِمُ بَيْتَ الْعِزِّ وَالْشَرَفِ And jahl, ignorance, it demolishes the building of honor and rank. Meaning if a person has everything that brings him honor and rank of this dunya, but he's ignorant, all his honor, all his rank will go down the drain. So what is it that truly brings honor to a person? Knowledge. And jahl, it humiliates a person. Ignorance humiliates a person. And we see that in the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُ الْعِلْمَ يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُ الْعِلْمَ Those people who have been given knowledge. What does it show? That this status, this ilm, this is given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning no person attains it by himself. No person can get it by himself. And we see that ilm is acquired. No person is born alim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَاللَّهُ أَخْرَجَكُمْ مِن بُطُونِ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا He brought you out of the wombs of your mothers and you knew nothing at all. You were completely ignorant. So every person is born ignorant. However, throughout his life, he learns. And the more a person learns, the more high his status becomes. And we see that there is no limit to this because Allah says, رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا وَقُلْ so the more knowledge a person gains, the higher his status will become. See over here that throughout one's life, throughout one's life, a person must continue to learn because the Prophet ﷺ is told, that pray, O my Lord, increase me in knowledge. Which means that a person can always increase in his knowledge. A person can never ever reach a point where he can say, yes, now I know enough. Or yes, now I have reached the end of the journey. No, this journey is continuous. It continues until the time of death. Which is why we see that there were scholars who even at their deathbed, they were asking questions. And when they were asked, when they were inquired, that what, why are you asking? How is it of benefit to you? Now he said, I'd rather die while knowing it instead of being ignorant of it. And the more you know, the only thing you know is that you don't know. 
the more knowledge you gain, you realize how ignorant you are. This is why, Rabbi zidni ilma. Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. And the fact is that any person you come across, anything you come across, there's always something that you can learn from them. Always. Because, وَفَوْقَ كُلِّ ذِي عِلْمٍ عَلِيمٍ Above everyone is one who knows more. So, you might think that you know everything. However, you come across a person who knows even one more thing, one thing that you don't know. And remember that Musa alayhi salam, when he was asked if there was anyone more knowledgeable than him, he said, no. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected him and he sent him to Khadr to learn. So, Rabbi zidni ilma. This is the highest status of ilmu shari'i that if you have it, it's a source of great darajat. And secondly, you can never have enough of it. You can never ever have enough of it. And this realization keeps a person humble and it keeps him going. And the moment a person thinks that I know enough, I know much, that's it. His journey will end. He will not benefit anymore. The next chapter, the next bab is, Bab Mansu ila ilman, whoever is asked about knowledge, wahuwa mushtagilun, while he is mushtagil. Mushtagil from shughul, meaning one who is occupied, one who is busy. We have learned this word shughul in fakihun in the Quran. So the one who is asked about knowledge while he is busy, busy in what? Fi hadithihi, in his speech. So a person is talking, okay, he is occupied with his speech, and another comes and asks him something. So should he cut his speech short and answer him, or should he wait? Imam Bukhari writes, فَأَتَمَّ الْحَدِيثَ So he completes his speech. And then, ثُمَّ Then, أَجَابَ السَّائِلَ Then he responds to the questioner. Is it permissible or not? You understand the chapter heading? That a person is questioned about ilm while he is busy talking. So he completes his speech and then he answers the question. Meaning he does not stop in the middle. He finishes what he was saying and then he answers the question. What does this show? That it is not necessary for the one who is being asked about something that he should answer immediately or that he should cut short his speech, he should interrupt his speech in order to answer the question. He is allowed to finish his speech and then if he intends to answer, he may do so. Because the person who is asked a question, he has a choice whether or not he wants to answer the question. In which case is he allowed to not give the answer? In which case is he allowed to not respond to the question, to not give the answer? Okay, in the case where the answer to that question will cause fitna, people will misunderstand or you know that they're asking for a particular reason so you avoid. Like for example, you go to a gathering and you know that people have no interest in Islam and somebody comes and asks you about hurul ayn. So if you start answering questions over there, people are going to get even more upset. So if you say that, you know, this is not a relevance over here, or if you ignore that comment or question and you move on, you're not concealing knowledge. Why? Because that information will cause fitna. So you are allowed to ignore that question. Any other situation? Okay, of course, when you're not sure about the answer, you don't know. Okay, like for example, over here, a person is talking. He's giving a khutbah, he's addressing the people, and all of a sudden a question, he's interrupted and a question is asked, so he's allowed to not give the answer. Okay, when it's not relevant. And we also see that if a person asks a question, not seeking ilm, not desiring ilm, but just to 
check what you know and who you are, then in that case also you may decide not to answer the question. For example, we learn about the Ahlul Kitab that when they would come to the Prophet ﷺ, they would ask him questions not desiring the truth, but just to see if he had an answer that they would like. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ was told, فَإِن جَاءُوكَ فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ أَوْ أَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ You have the choice. You may give the judgment or you may turn away. You may answer or you may refuse. It's up to you. But generally, in normal situations, is it permissible for a person to not answer the question? No, because it is a form of kitmanul ilm, concealing knowledge. And we know that concealing knowledge is prohibited in our religion. The Bani Israel, their scholars, what were they told? وَتَكْتُمُ حَقَّ You conceal the truth, meaning you should not conceal the truth. Similarly, in Surah Al-Baqarah, we also learn about those people who يَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ Who conceal what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. For them is a great punishment. Larna, The curse of Allah. So it is a great crime to conceal knowledge. So generally we're not allowed to refuse answering questions. However, if there is a genuine reason, a person is allowed to do so. So the situation that is mentioned over here is that a person is talking and he is asked a question. Should he answer immediately or can he defer? He may defer. He may defer. And what's the evidence of that? Imam Bukhari writes the hadith. And what is the hadith that حدثنا محمد بن سنان قال حدثنا فليح حاء وحدثني إبراهيم بن المنذر Imam Bukhari is also taking the hadith from who? Ibrahim ibn Munzir. قال حدثنا محمد بن فليح قال حدثني أبي قال حدثني هلال بن علي عن عطاء بن يسار عن أبي هريرة قال بينما النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في مجلس بينما once, Bainama means once, once upon a time, while An-Nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, while the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was fi majlisin in a gathering, yuhaddisu, he was narrating al-qawma to the people, meaning he was addressing the people. He was addressing the people. So at that time, ja'ahu, he came to him. Who came to him? A'rabiyun, a Bedouin man. A Bedouin man came while the Prophet ﷺ was talking. And this man, فَقَالَ So he said, مَتَى السَّاعَةُ When is the hour? When is the day of judgment going to come? So imagine the Prophet ﷺ was giving a speech and all of a sudden a man comes and asks, when is the hour going to be? Perhaps the Prophet ﷺ was mentioning something about the day of judgment. Or even if he wasn't, the man interrupted his speech and he asked a question. So what happened? فَمَضَى So he continued. So he continued, Mada, أو أمضي حقبا, or I will continue my journey for Hukuba for centuries. So, فَمَضَى So he continued, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama يُحَدِّثُ Meaning he continued to speak. He did not stop, he did not pause, he continued talking. فَقَالَ So he said, who said? بَعْضُ الْقَوْمِ Some people who were sitting there, they said, سَمِعَ He heard مَا قَالَ What that man said. فَكَرِيهَا But he disliked مَا قَالَ What that man said. So because he disliked his question, this is why he ignored him and he did not answer the question. This is what some people thought. وَقَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ And others said, some other people, they said, بَلْ rather لَمْ يَسْمَعْ He did not hear. No, he did not hear the question. So people were confused. Some people were thinking, oh, the Prophet ﷺ did not like the question. This is why he ignored him. Other people said, 
or perhaps he did not hear him. So very normal reactions. Hatta until Ida when Qada Hadithahu he completed his speech. Until when the Prophet ﷺ completed his speech, Qala he said, Aina, where? Asailu, the person who asked the question. Aina Sail. Now between Aina Sail is the word Urahu. Urahu, if you look at it, it's between two lines, right? This is Mu'taridah. Okay, this has been inserted over here by who? By the Rawi, by the narrator. And the word Urahu gives the meaning of Azunnu, I think. So the Rawi, the narrator, he said, I think, this is what the Prophet ﷺ said, that Aina Sailu, where is the Sail? Where is the person who asked, Anisa'ah, about the hour? Qala, the man, he said, Ha ana, here I am, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah. So that man, he got up and said, here I am, I'm the one who asked about the hour. Qala, the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِذَا So when? ضُيِّعَتْ ضُيِّعَتْ It is being wasted. What is being wasted? الْأَمَانَةُ The trust. فَانْتَغِرِ السَّاعَةِ Then await the hour. When the amana, when the trust, when the responsibility is being wasted, then await the hour. Meaning that is a sign that the day of judgment is very close. Qala, the man asked, كَيْفَ How? إِضَاعَتُهَا It's wasted. Meaning how is the amana supposed to be wasted? Qala, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا when وُسِّدَ 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 What does it mean? What does Sayyid mean? Leader, right? So when it is entrusted, what is entrusted? Al-amru, the responsibility, the affair, ila to غَيْرِ ahlihi, Those who are not deserving of it. غَيْرِ other than ahlihi, deserving of it. So when responsibility is entrusted to who? Those people who are not deserving of it. This is what? The wastage of amana. So when this happens, فَانْتَغِرِ Then await the hour. So this hadith, what does it show to us? That if a person is asked about some ilm, while he is talking, he may ignore the question for that time, and when he is done, then he may answer the question. This is the main reason as to why Imam Bukhari is narrating this hadith over here. Why? Because if a person is talking and in the middle questions are being asked, then a lot of time will get wasted. And especially it happens that one person asks a question, the answer is given, and another, he starts thinking about something else, so he asks his question, another asks his question, you know, you were talking about something else, and everybody's attention is gone somewhere else now. So it's best that the Q&A session is kept separate from the time that instruction is being given. Why? Because then a lot of time gets used up in that. Anyway, we see in this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he did not stop his speech to answer that man's question. And he delayed, he deferred the answer. And instead of telling the man about when the Day of Judgment was going to come, the Prophet ﷺ told him about its sign. Because when is the hour going to be? We know that nobody knows about that except for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet ﷺ did not completely disappoint that man, but rather he gave him some information from which he could benefit. And that was the sign of the Day of Judgment. And what is the sign? That when amana is wasted. إِذَا ضُيِّعَتِ amana. What does the word amana mean? What is it used for? A trust, isn't it? Something that is given as a trust to another. Why? So that he can keep it safe. He can look after it until it is 
handed over to somebody else or until it is returned. It is temporarily with someone to take care of, to manage it, to look after it. And then when the time comes to an end, he is supposed to hand it over to somebody else. This is why the word amana is also used for responsibility. Because a responsibility is also given to someone temporarily until it is handed over to somebody else. And while that responsibility has been given to the person, what is he supposed to do? Just enjoy the benefits? No, he's supposed to look after it. He's supposed to do whatever is required of him. And we learned that responsibility, it is to be given to who? Those people who are deserving of it. Those people who are worthy of it. Those people who can actually give it its due. And in this hadith, amanah means responsibility. What does it mean? Responsibility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that inna Allah ya'murukum an tu'addul amanat ila ahliha. That Allah orders you to give the amanat to who? Those people who are deserving of it. Those people who are deserving of it. So the sign of the Day of Judgment is that when responsibilities are being given to those people who are not deserving of it. And notice the word Al-Amr. إِذَا وُسِّدَ amru. Al-Amr over here is general. It includes every kind of responsibility, major and minor. This includes responsibilities which are concerning, for example, ta'aleem, teaching people, or for example, wizara, authority, any kind of responsibility. Can you give me more examples? Okay, so for example, a woman is given the responsibility of looking after her children, her husband, but that woman, she doesn't even know how to cook or how to take care of children or how to, you know, please the husband or anything like that. So she's not going to fulfill that responsibility properly. So for example, some position such as looking after the property of other people or for example, managing the donations, managing the affairs of, for example, an institute, taking care of a library even. Right? Because you're responsible of looking after all of the books. If you think about it, any task that is given to a person to perform, that is what? An amana on them. Whether it is that they have to stand somewhere and sell some items, or it is that they have to come and deliver something, or they have to come and clean up after, or prepare from before, any kind of task, any kind of task, whether it is sagira or kabira, minor or major, It has to do with the deen or the dunya. Any kind of task. When it's given to someone to perform, it is an amana on them. As a student also, we are responsible for certain things. Every person is made responsible for something or the other. Like we learned, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ So every single person is a shepherd. When this matter is given to those people who are not deserving of it, then that means that the Day of Judgment is near. Question. Why do you think amana would be given to those who are not deserving of it? What's the reason behind that? It would happen for a reason, obviously. So what's the reason behind that? Those people who are deserving are nowhere to be seen. Those people who are deserving are nowhere to be seen. Who are actually worthy of that position are nowhere to be seen. What does that show? That the standards have become very, very low. They will continue to lower as time goes by. Before, for any person to be known as a student of knowledge, or a reciter, or someone who is transmitting knowledge, it was understood that they have to be a hafiz. That was like a basic requirement. 
they have to be someone who has memorized the Qur'an. It was a normal thing. But now the standards have become so low that memorization of the Qur'an itself is a big deal today. It's considered a big deal today. And before, it wasn't a big deal at all. It was something that was normal. It was a prerequisite for anything you wanted to learn in the deen. The first thing is that you memorize the Qur'an. Before you study any classical text or anything, what was the first requirement? You memorize the Qur'an. But now that's not done. Why? Because the standards have become so low. And those people who do end up memorizing the Qur'an, they're not generally the most brightest students, the most brilliant students. They have been refused from some college or some something or the other, so which is why they say, okay, never mind, let me just do this. Lack of resources. right? Lack of resources. So, the first reason behind why an amanah is given to those who are not deserving of it is due to lack of resources, lack of talent, lack of ability. That ignorance is more widespread. Ignorance is more widespread. Another reason is that those people who are worthy, who are qualified, when they stay away. If they stay away, now someone has to come and fill up that position. And if you are the one who is most qualified for that position, and if you don't step forward, what's going to happen? Someone who is less qualified will come and take that position, and as a result, amana. So what does it show? That if you are qualified for something, if you are able to do something, don't stay back, come forward. Because if you don't, it's as though you're committing a crime. Remember Yusuf a.s. He gave the whole plan to the king, what to do, and then he also offered his services because he knew that he was capable of doing it. And if he didn't come forward, it would be given to somebody else who would not be able to manage the whole situation in the way that he did. Another reason why responsibility is given to those people who are not deserving of it is sometimes out of bias, out of favoritism. That a person is, for example, made a king or made a leader or made someone with position authority just because you like them, just because they're your relative. And those people who are more deserving of it, they're not given that position. Favoritism. Another reason is disregard for the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Disregard for the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us that give the amanat to who? Those people who are deserving of it. But when a person does not care about that, then he will give it to those whom he likes or those whom he prefers or for whatever reason. So there are many reasons why an amana would be wasted. So when this starts to happen, the Prophet ﷺ said, فَانْتَظِرِ sa'ah," Then await the hour. It is going to come very soon. That we see over here the patience of that Bedouin man as well. That when his question was ignored, he didn't get upset and he walked away. No, he just sat there. He just sat there. And perhaps he didn't even think that his question would be answered. But he waited. He remained over there. Because... Even if your question doesn't get answered, at least there are other things to learn. You know, sometimes it happens. You go to a class, it's huge. The instructor has many questions to answer. And if your question doesn't get answered, you get upset. Then why are they ignoring my question? Don't get upset. Benefit from the other questions that are being answered. That there are masajid where they don't find a person who has memorized the Qur'an to lead the people. In taraweeh salah, in the month of Ramadan even. They cannot find a single person even. It's a sad state of affairs, but it is a reality. You don't find people. And so responsibility is given to those who are not deserving of it. 
So the question was irrelevant as well. This is what the Prophet ﷺ in a way ignored it or disregarded it or deferred answering it. Now, this lack of resources point, right? That's the reason behind why amanat are entrusted to those who are not deserving of it. What does that teach us? That what should we do? What should we do? That we should fill up the gaps in whatever way that we can. Isn't it? And how will that be done? Just by wishes? No. It will happen when we increase in our knowledge, when we improve in our ability so that we can serve the deen. We can benefit people. Because if we choose to remain ignorant or, or we say that, yes, you know, whatever I know is sufficient and I, I don't think I need to go further in this, then we are causing the problem as well. We are part of the problem as well. We generally tend to just comment, oh, this is happening, that is happening, but we don't think about the solutions. Think about the solutions. Increase your knowledge, increase your talents, you know, get certified, do whatever, but fill up the gaps. Don't just sit there and comment. That we should plan from now as well. You know, for example, if our children are young, don't just worry about their ABCs and their one, two, threes, but also worry about the recitation of the Quran. And if your child is, you know, mentally very strong and you see that ability in them, then encourage them to memorize the Quran. Every single one of us comes with different life experiences, different talents that we can benefit other people with. And we should definitely come forward. And wherever the need is, improve our ability so that we can excel. This is also one of the reasons why amana is given to those people who are not worthy of it, that we follow the policies or the rules too strictly and we're not open to any change or in some situations thinking out of the box even, right? That we're too limited in our thinking. And as a result, we conform a lot, but we don't produce quality, right? Like, for example, if there is a student, okay, they, they don't have this particular prerequisite, that's it. Don't even consider them as a student in this. Just reject their application. In the course that we have, the condition is that the student must have done grade 9, right? Grade 9 and above. But there have been cases where students have come who have not done grade 9, and believe me, they have done much better than many of the students. It doesn't mean that they should not go and complete grade 9 and grade 10. Of course they will, right? That is a condition that we have set for them. However, just because, you know, our rule is a grade 9 and above, don't even consider anyone lesser? No, consider that whatever responsibility, whatever position you have, make sure you have someone to take that from you when you're gone, if you have to go away suddenly. I'm thinking that if we all do not take our responsibility seriously of raising our kids who could make a change in the society, then the day is not far away when, God forbid, we ourselves are going to be suffering because of so much jihala that is around us. So we need to take it seriously, educate them seriously, and raise them in a manner that they can replace the people who are jahil. Okay, let's continue. Bab man rafa'a sawtahu bil'ilmi. Man rafa'a, the one who raised sawtahu, his voice, bil'ilmi, with knowledge. Meaning while teaching, while imparting knowledge, he raised his voice. Is it permissible or not? Imam Bukhari says it is, and he gives the evidence. حدثنا أبو النعماني عارم بن الفضل قال حدثنا أبو عوانة عن أبي بشر عن يوسف بن ماهك عن عبد الله بن عمر قال he said تخلف عنا he remained behind from us who النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في سفرة in a journey سافرناها we journeyed it together meaning 
the people were all traveling together. The Prophet ﷺ was also with them. However, he was left behind. The people kept going. He was on his way. Remember, whenever the Prophet ﷺ would travel with the people, he would either go behind the people to make sure that nobody was left, right? Or everything was being taken care of, or he would send somebody else, right? To remain behind and check. So the Prophet ﷺ, in this incident, he was behind the people. So anna. It doesn't mean that he stayed in Medina. No, it means that he was behind them while they were traveling. This is like multiple cars going together. Some are going to be in the front. Some are going to be at the back. فَأَدْرَكْنَا So we idrak. What does idrak mean? We perceived, meaning we attained or we got. وَقَدْ While in fact, أَرْهَقَتْنَا الصَّلَاةُ أَرْهَقَتْنَا الصَّلَاةُ أَرْهَقَ You remember this word from Surah Al-Kahf? What does it mean? Where did we learn this? وَلَا تُرْهِقَنِي Meaning do not cause difficult for me. Do not cause difficulty for me. Do not make it difficult for me. Do not make it burdensome for me. It is when someone makes you tired, exhausted, makes a task very difficult for you. And over here, it gives a meaning of that we almost caught the prayer. Meaning it was very difficult for us to catch the prayer. Meaning we were almost going to lose it. Almost going to miss it. So in other words, we were late for the salah. So imagine if a person is late for his salah, how is he going to be doing wudu? And we were performing wudu. So how did we perform wudu? Quickly, hurriedly, in a rush. And in that rush, فَجَعَلْنَا So we made, meaning we began doing, نَمْسَحُ We were wiping عَلَىٰ أَرْجُولِنَا Upon our feet. The feet, are they supposed to be washed or wiped over? Washed. But in that hurry, what did they do? They were just wiping their feet with wet hands. Because if you take water and you pour it on your foot, it's going to take some time. But if you take a wet hand and you just make sure quickly that your foot is simply wet, that's faster. So they did that. فَنَادَى So he called out. Who called out? The Prophet ﷺ بِأَعْلَى صَوْتِهِ بِأَعْلَى With highest صَوْتِهِ His voice. Meaning in the loudest voice that he could, he called out to us, Wailun, woe, destruction, lil-a'qab, for the heels min nar from the fire. Wailun lil-a'qab min nar marrataini, twice, aw thalathan, or thrice. Meaning he said this two or three times. So we see that the Sahaba, they were getting late for their salah, and in that rush, they wiped their feet, instead of washing them properly. Instead of ghusl, they did mas'h. So the Prophet ﷺ, he called out to them, and he raised his voice to teach all of them at once and also to warn them. Why did he raise his voice? So that everybody would hear. And secondly, to warn them as well. And he also repeated what he said. What does this hadith show to us? That it is permissible for a person to raise his voice if he is teaching wherever, whenever he finds necessary. It doesn't mean that a person has to yell out the entire lecture or the entire khutbah. But it means that it is permissible for him to raise his voice. Now, why is Imam Bukhari writing this? What's the point? Because in earlier times when people would learn, they were learning in majalis, the teacher is talking, or for example, the student is reading the book, the hadith, everybody is listening. Now, there were no microphones at that time. So obviously a person would have to speak in a very loud voice. But what have we been taught in the Qur'an? وَاخْضُدْ 
من صوتك isn't it so we have been taught to lower our voice to not speak in a very loud manner but it shows that in a gathering of knowledge wherever it is necessary it is permissible for a person to raise his voice this is not disobeying allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is not being rude because we consider raising of the voice to be rude but this is not rude this is permissible because there is a reason behind that similarly this also shows that the use of microphones and loudspeakers it is absolutely permissible it is not a bid'ah okay in fact the sunnah proves its permissibility and this hadith also shows to us that taqrar repetition is also permissible for the purpose of warning that we see people were traveling and they were almost going to miss their salah everybody was in a rush but the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam his responsibility was what to convey the religion completely to people to make sure that every mistake was corrected so he did not ignore it it was a situation where everybody was you know being impatient was rushing but still he warned them he made it clear that no matter how you know little time you have you cannot compromise on performing your wudu properly and this hadith shows to us that you cannot replace ghusl with masr Meaning parts of the body that have to be washed, you have to wash them. You cannot just wipe them with wet hands. Because sometimes people, if they have makeup on and they want to make sure that their mascara doesn't start leaking, what do they do? They just wipe wet hands over their eyes or around their eyes. This is not right. Wiping cannot replace washing. Masr cannot replace ghusl. And this also shows to us that isbaghul wudu, meaning perfecting one's wudu, making sure that every part is washed or wiped whatever has to be done properly this is a means of protecting oneself from the fire because if a person does not perfect his wudu what did the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say wailun lil arqabi min an-nar so this shows that perfecting the wudu is a means of protecting oneself from the fire it shows to us importance of knowledge as well that when a person has knowledge then he becomes careful about little things as well even washing his feet properly even that will bother you and if a person does not have knowledge and he's like oh never mind it's okay then it doesn't make him careful that if we are doing something wrong and somebody points out our mistake at that time then don't get offended because they're telling you for your good the way the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam raised his voice and he said in the loudest voice possible wailul lil aqabi min an-nar twice thrice I mean, just imagine if somebody says that to you, we generally feel offended. But this is not right. We should not feel offended because if they're warning us, if they're telling us, it is for our own good. As long as you're pouring water on the foot, you have to pour, you have to wash. So for example, if it's difficult for a person to lift up their foot, okay, then you can go to a place where you can just, you know, pour water on your foot. Okay, like the corner or just by the drain or in the shower. And plan ahead and for your convenience wear socks. Okay, from before. Also because they were leaving out their heels. But mainly what we see in this hadith is that they were namsahu. They were wiping. That when performing wudu, doing anything, no matter how much of a rush you're in, do it right. Don't compromise. Bab, قول المحدثي حدثنا أو أخبرنا وأنبأنا قول المحدث Who is a محدث? The one who is narrating 
a hadith. Okay, and over here hadith does not mean just any speech, but in particular the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. So when he says the saying of the muhaddis, حدثنا, he narrated to us, أو أخبرنا, or he informed us, وأنبأنا, and he informed us, أخبرنا, أنبأنا, mean the same thing. So is it okay or not? Should the people use these terms or not? And is there any difference between these terms? حدثنا, أخبرنا, أنبأنا. Now, this chapter title Imam Bukhari is giving to inform that there is no difference between the terms حدثنا, أخبرنا, أنبأنا. And this was the case amongst the earlier muhaddithin. The muhaddithin of earlier times, earlier generations, to them, the words حدثنا, أخبرنا, أنبأنا, all of them meant the same thing. And in the Arabic language as well, we see that the word imba, the word ikhbar, the word tahdis are used giving the same meaning sometimes. For example, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يُنَبِّئُكَ مِثْلُ خَبِيرٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا Both are meant as informing. Now, later on, the muhaddithin, they differentiated between these terms. Imam Muslim, okay, at his time, the people began differentiating between the terms أَنْبَأَنَا أَخْبَرَنَا حَدَّثَنَا and so on and so forth. But Imam Bukhari, he believed that all of these terms mean the same thing. Okay, And this is exactly what he's proving over here. The muhaddithin mutaakhirin, the later ones, they differentiated between the terms. How? They said that حَدَّثَنَا حَدَّثَنَا is used for the one who heard from his teacher. Meaning the teacher was narrating and the student was listening. And أَخْبَرَنَا أَنْبَأَنَا these terms were used for the purpose of ijaza for the one whose shaykh heard him. Meaning the student was reading and the teacher was listening and he affirmed. And this was for the purpose of giving ijazah to the student. So what's the difference between haddathana and akhbarana? Haddathana, the teacher is narrating, student is listening. Akhbarana, anba'ana, what are they? That the student is reading and the teacher is correcting, listening, affirming, so on and so forth. Okay, that's the difference. But initially, initially, it was understood as one and same. Now, why is Imam Bukhari mentioning this in Kitabul Ilm? Because this is the methodology of acquiring ilm. This bab and the next bab as well, Imam Bukhari dedicates them to the methodology of acquiring ilm. How hadith is learned and taught, how it is transmitted. The different ways. Have you heard about tahammulul hadith, the acquiring of hadith? The eight ways? You're not familiar? Okay. So, some of them Imam Bukhari mentions over here. Okay? وَقَالَ لَنَا الْحُمَيْدِيُّ And Humaydi said to us, us, Imam Bukhari. And who is Humaydi? Humaydi was Imam Bukhari's Quraysh teacher. He was the most afqah of the scholars of Makkah. So he said, كَانَ عِنْدَ ابْنِ عُيَيْنَةَ it was near Ibn Uyayna. Who is Ibn Uyayna? Who is Ibn Uyayna? What was his first name? Sufyan. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, according to him, حَدَّثَنَا وَأَخْبَرَنَا وَأَنْبَأَنَا وَسَمِعْتُ All of these terms were what? Wahidan. They were the same. According to Ibn Uyayna, all of these terms, حَدَّثَنَا أَخْبَرَنَا أَنْبَأَنَا سَمِعْتُ All of these were the same. Meaning according to him, they could be used interchangeably. They meant the same thing. وَقَالَ And he said, who said? Ibn Mas'udin. 
ابن مسعود رضی اللہ عنہ ہی سر حدثنا رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم وهو الصادق المصدوق ابن مسعود he said haddathana he used the term haddathana that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam narrated to us and who is the messenger of allah wa huwa sadiq and he is the truthful al-masduq the one who whose truthfulness is affirmed okay so sadiq in what he informed in what he taught in what he said and masduq in what was taken from him meaning the people also affirmed him so wa huwa sadiq wal-masduq Now Imam Bukhari is mentioning just the statements of the Sahaba or the Salaf or the Tabi'een just to show that they use these terms. This is not an innovation. They use these terms. This has been the traditional way, this has been the original way of transmitting knowledge by saying so-and-so narrated from us. Because generally what do we say? If so-and-so said this to you, this is hearsay. This is how people say. But In our deen, this is not hearsay, because when you say, حَدَّثَنَا أَنْبَأَنَا أَخْبَرَنَا Then you have learned, you have received that knowledge, and you're passing it on with responsibility. وَقَالَ شَقِيقٌ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ And شقيق said, عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ, meaning Abdullah bin Mas'ud, that سَمِعْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَلِمَةً سَمِعْتُ He said the word سَمِعْتُ I heard the Prophet meaning A word meaning he said something. So, so far, Imam Bukhari has proven the terms حدثنا and also سمعتو. وقال حذيفة and حذيفة رضي الله عنه he said حدثنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حديثين. Several companions said this. Ibn Mas'ud, حذيفة, he said the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم narrated to us حديثين to a hadith. وقال أبو العالية and أبو العالية he said عن ابن عباس from Ibn Abbas عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ From the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم فِيمَا In what يَرْوِي He narrates عَنْ رَبِّهِ From his Lord What do we see here? عَنْ عَنْ عَنَا Do you remember the term عَنْ عَنَا? So even this is an original practice وَقَالَ أَنَسْ And أَنَسْ said عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَرْوِيهِ عَنْ رَبِّهِ عَزَّ وَجَا From the Messenger of Allah, he was narrating it from his Lord, the Exalted, the Mighty. وَقَالَ أَبُوْ هُرَيْرَةَ And Abu Huraira said, عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ From the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, يَرْوِيهِ He narrates it, عَنْ رَبِّكُمْ عَزَّ وَجَلَ So, all of these terms, حَدَّثَنَا, أَخْبَرَنَا, سَمِعْتُ As well as, عَنْ عَنَا These are what? A part of our religion. This is how knowledge was. Learned, and this is how it was transmitted. This has been the authentic way of the transmission of knowledge, and we see that this was the way of the Salaf, this was the way of the Tabi'een, this was the way of the Sahaba, and this was even the way of who? The Prophet ﷺ. He also narrated in the same way from who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now Imam Bukhari narrates some ahadith, which prove it even more clearly. حدثنا قتيبة حدثنا إسماعيل بن جعفر عن عبد الله بن دينار عن ابن عمر قال he said قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said إن indeed من الشجر among the trees شجرة is a tree لا يسقط it does not fall what does not fall ورقها its leaves 
There is a tree whose leaves do not fall. وَإِنَّهَا And indeed it مَثَلُ Is like الْمُسْلِمِ Like the Muslim. A tree whose leaves do not fall and that tree is like who? A Muslim, a believer. فَحَدِّثُونِي So all of you tell me مَا هِيَ What is it? Which tree is it? فَوَقَعَ النَّاسُ So the people fell, meaning the people began thinking. فِي شَجَرِ About the trees. Which trees? Albawadi Of the desert. Meaning the people started naming different trees which grow in the desert. Okay, trying to answer that question. Maybe it's this tree, maybe it's that tree. قَالَ Abdullah. Abdullah said, meaning Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, وَوَقَعَ And it fell fi nafsi in my heart. Meaning I thought in my heart that annaha indeed that tree, it is annakhla, the date palm. However, فَاسْتَحْيَيْتُ But I felt shy. So I did not answer. All the people that started naming the different trees of the desert, I was shy. I did not say it was the date palm. ثُمَّ قَالُوا Then they said, meaning the Sahaba, they said, حَدِّثْنَا You tell us. مَا هِيَ What it is, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah. قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ said, هِيَ It is النَّخْلَ The date palm. What do we see over here? That both the Prophet ﷺ as well as the companions use the term حَدَّثَ The Prophet ﷺ said, حَدِّثُونِي The Sahaba said, حَدِّثْنَا Both of them used the term حَدَّثَ And we see that in both the instances, the word حَدَّثَ, what meaning does it give? Of إِخْبَار So two things are being proven over here. First of all, that the usage of these words is perfectly normal. And secondly, that there is no difference between the words حَدَّثَنَا أَخْبَرَنَا أَنْبَأَنَا And this was when? At the time of Imam Bukhari, before him. After him, it changed. The people did start to differ between these terms. But we see over here that حَدِّثُونِي or حَدِّثْنَا it is being used in the meaning of ikhbar. They didn't mean that, O Prophet ﷺ, you start narrating to us. What did they mean? That you inform us. Right? You tell us. Bab, chapter. طَرْحِ الْإِمَامِ طَرْح What does طَرْح mean? To throw, to toss. أَوِطْرَحُوهُ Or throw him in the well. فِي غَيَابَةِ الْجُبِّ Remember? So, بَاب طَرْحِ الْإِمَامِ The throwing by the imam of what? المسألة Of a مسألة What is a مسألة? An issue. A question that needs an answer. A problem that has to be solved. So, طَرْحِ الْإِمَامِ الْمَسْأَلَةَ عَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهِ Upon his companions. Meaning the imam, he tosses or hurls a question before who? His companions. Why? So that they can answer that. And why does he ask them? لِيَخْتَبِرَ So that he may test. مَا عِنْدَهُمْ What is with them? مِنَ الْعِلْمِ Of knowledge. So the imam asks a question from the people who are around him. Why? To know, to find out how much they know. So in other words, it is permissible for a teacher to ask questions from students. What kind of questions? About even those matters that have not been explicitly taught. Because 
the teacher is trying to judge over here, the, the imam is trying to gauge over here, how much do these people know? How much do they know? Do they know about this? Are they familiar with this concept? Can they think about the answer to this? So, why would an imam do that? To check how much they know, how much they understand, what's their background. And in general also we learn from this that it is beneficial to test students. It is beneficial. Why? Because when students are questioned, they stay alert, right? When they're tested, they become more serious. They remain serious. They don't get bored and eventually give up. No, they remain serious. Even if they're tired, they keep writing, right? So it forces them to study seriously. They remain as alert learners, isn't it? And if in a gathering, people are asked a question, that is beneficial. A person might say, I did not come here to answer questions. I came here to learn. So why am I being asked? You're being asked, why? To keep you interested, to keep you curious. So Imam Bukhari, he proves this as well by a hadith. حَدَّثَنَا خَالِدُ بْنُ مَخْلَدٍ حَدَّثَنَا سُلَيْمَانٍ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ دِينَارٍ عَنِ بْنِ عُمَرَ عَنِ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ He said, إِنَّ مِنَ الشَّجَرِ شَجَرَةً لَا يَسْقُطُ وَرَقُهَا وَإِنَّهَا مَثَلُ الْمُسْلِمِ we just read this hadith, so I'm just going to say the Arabic. حَدِّثُونِ مَا هِيَ قَالَ فَوَقَعَ النَّاسُ فِي شَجْرِ الْبَوَادِ قَالَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ فَوَقَعَ فِي نَفْسِ أَنَّهَا النَّخْلَةِ ثُمَّ قَالُوا حَدِّثْنَا مَا هِيَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ قَالَ هِيَ النَّخْلَةِ So this hadith shows to us that there is no harm if the imam asks questions from the people who are around him. And we also learned that if you know the answer, then there's no harm in being happy about it. Because we think that if you know the answer, then you should stay humble and you should not say anything and you should remain quiet. And if you get the right answer, then just, you know, be serious and just pretend that you're very, you're not affected by the praise or anything like that. No, there's no harm. If you know the answer, you can be excited about it. Okay, you can raise your hand, you can answer the question because the Prophet ﷺ, when he asked the Sahaba, everybody started answering. But Ibn Umar because he was very young, he felt shy. And because there were so many other people around him, that's why he, he was reluctant to give the answer. But if you know the answer, there's no harm in giving the answer. There's no pride in that. Because sometimes we think that, you know, if you're knowledgeable, you should become humble. And if you're humble, then you should not speak up ever. No, there's no harm in doing that. And besides knowing the answer to a question... Okay, something that other people cannot figure out, but you have figured out, this is a special gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for which you should be grateful. Don't just say afterwards, you know that question that was asked, I knew exactly the answer. However, I didn't say. I mean, don't just feel proud about it, but be grateful for it, that Ya Allah, you made me understand. And we also see that in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ compared the believer to what? A date palm tree. And the feature that is mentioned of the date palm tree is that its leaves do not fall. There are many other similarities. However, the one that is mentioned over here is that the tree, its leaves do not fall. What do the leaves represent? وَفَرْعُهَا فِي السَّمَاءِ Iman, actions, right? تُؤْتِيُوكَ لَهَا كُلَّ حِينٍ That the leaves do not fall and they're on the tree throughout the year. That no matter what season the tree is going through, the leaves are there. So similarly, no matter what season we're going through in our lives, certain actions should be a part of our life. Consistent. 
we give ourselves many excuses. I'm not doing this because of such and such reason. I'm not doing that because of that and that reason. When this thing changes, when this thing goes away, when so and so leaves, when this happens, when that happens, then I will do. No. You have to do it regardless. The seeking of knowledge, this should be continued throughout one's life. Rabbi Zidni Ilma. Right? No matter what the season is. That if there is a reason as to why you're not giving the answer, that's okay. But generally, if you are being asked, then you are being asked, so you should also come forward. Remember we learned about Ithal, preferring other people over yourself. If something is mustahab, then you go for it. You know the answer? It is mustahab to answer, right? So raise your hand. Don't say, oh, other people will answer. No, raise your hand. Because when you will answer other people, they might get encouraged and motivated as well. That this tree, it grows in the desert, right? And we know about the desert, extremely hot climate, harsh weather, but still this tree grows over there. And the average lifespan of a date palm is somewhere between 80 to 150 years and sometimes even up to 300 years. So just imagine for so long, until it's alive, it's giving. It's benefiting and it's giving. So similarly, Rabbi Zidni Ilma, until we're alive and whatever we learn, be responsible, come forward and do whatever you can with that knowledge. He was sure about the answer, but remember that he was younger. He was very young at that time. Okay, And the rest of the companions were much you know, elder than him, better than him in knowledge. So this is why he felt shy. Just imagine you're a child and everybody's sitting and you would feel very strange speaking up in that majlis. But he learned his lesson, right? Just imagine if great sahaba are there, he did not have the confidence to speak in that majlis. That someone who's younger than you can also know what you do not know. That's why never ever be proud of the knowledge that you have. Very true that asking questions from the students is a very effective way of teaching, of making the students receptive of whatever is being taught because it makes them curious, it makes them more alert, and it makes them remember. In the Quran also, so many times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam tara, alam tara. It's clear. However, Allah says, alam tara. Why? Because we become more interested. If you're being questioned, you should answer. Because if you don't answer, then the person who is teaching, they get worried. It develops a healthy relationship between the student and students and the teacher. Anyway, let's continue. باب ما جاء في العلم وقوله تعالى وقل رب زدني علما What has come concerning knowledge and the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وقل رب زدني علما This has already been explained before in the باب of فضل العلم والقراءة والعرض على المحدث Meaning and what has come concerning قراءة and عرض upon who? محدث Who is the محدث? The one who is narrating the hadith وَرَأَ الْحَسَنُ وَالثَّوْرِيُّ وَمَالِكٌ القراءة جائزة الحسن البصري والثوري سفيان الثوري ومالك إمام مالك all of them considered القراءة to be جائزة to be valid meaning a valid way of transmitting knowledge what does it mean by this قراءة and what does it mean by عرض قراءة recitation and عرض presentation قراءة and عرض they are when a student would read or present his knowledge, whatever he has, before his teacher. The student reads the hadith that he has, the knowledge that he has, the ilm that he has, he recites it or he presents it before the teacher. And the teacher approves of it. If there is a correction that has to be made, he corrects it. 
But in this way, the knowledge has been transmitted from the teacher to the student. Because the student is getting whatever he has learned corrected by the teacher. So, Qira'a and Ard, Alal Muhaddith, Al Hassan al Basri, Sufyan al Thawri, Imam Malik, all of them considered to be valid ways of, of transmitting knowledge. Tahammul al Hadith, Tahammul al Hadith, acquiring Hadith. There were many ways in which the Hadith were transmitted from the teachers to their students. There were many ways in which a student could go and acquire the knowledge of the Hadith. One way is of Qira'ah ala shaykh Qira'ah ala shaykh Which is when the student reads and the teacher listens to him. And both Qira'ah and Ard, they are the same. Both Qira'ah and Ard, which are mentioned over here, they're the same. It's the same thing. Ard is presentation. How do you present? By reading, by recitation. So Qira'ah. And when a student would gain like a certificate, you can say, or an approval or an ijazah from his teacher in this way, then when he would narrate the hadith, he would use the words haddathana or haddathani. Okay, what words would he use? Haddathana or haddathani. Another way of transmitting the knowledge of hadith is of sama'. Sama'. It's a proper term. One is qira'ah, another is sama'. What is sama'? Listening. And this is listening to the shaykh. So the shaykh is reading and the students are listening. And for that, the term akhbarani, akhbarana is used. Another way is munawala. Another way is munawala, which inshallah we will also learn about. So I'm just making you familiar with these terms. So Imam Bukhari in this chapter, in this bab, what is he explaining? The first one that I mentioned to you, which is which is also known as Ard. It is also known as Ard. So, this way was considered a valid way of transmitting knowledge of the Hadith by who? By who? These three scholars that Imam Bukhari has mentioned over here. And now he mentions their proofs that on what basis did they say it was okay for the student to read and the teacher to approve and the student has the ijazah. You understand? Because generally we think that the teacher has to be teaching, instructing, reading, and the student is listening. But that's not the only way. Another way is that the student is reading whatever he knows, and the teacher is listening, and then he says, yes, you have read correctly. Just like the Qur'an. When you are taking ijazah in the Qur'an, in a particular qira'ah, then how is it given? That the student recites, isn't it? And if he has read correctly, up to the standards, then the teacher will say, yes, I give you my ijazah. However, the teacher did not recite. Who recited? The student recited. وَاحْتَجَّ بَعْضُهُمْ فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ عَلَى الْعَالِمِ وَاحْتَجَّ اِحْتَجَّ What's the root? ha jim jim. Any other word from the same root? حُجَّ What is حُجَّ? Evidence, argument, proof. So وَاحْتَجَّ And he took his evidence, meaning he proved it. بَعْضُهُمْ Some of them. Some of who? The scholars that are mentioned above. They took their evidence for what? فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ عَلَى الْعَالِمِ For reading before the teacher. قِرَاءَةِ عَلَى الْعَالِمِ That the student is reading to the teacher. So what's the evidence of that? The evidence that they have taken is of بِحَدِيثِ Of the hadith of ضِمَام ابْنِ سَعْلَبَةَ Who قَالَ لِلنَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Who said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم أَاللَّهُ أَمَرَكَ أَاللَّهُ This is a and Allah has Allah commanded you 
that we pray as-salawat, the five prayers? Has Allah commanded you that we perform the prayers? Qala, the Prophet said, Naam. He said, yes. You see over here, the Prophet did not say, Allah has commanded me that all of you should pray five times a day. He did not say this. The man asked, has Allah commanded you that we should pray five times a day? And the Prophet ﷺ only said, yes. But he said yes only to what Sa'laba said. And as a result, what happened? It was narrated as a hadith from who? From the Prophet ﷺ. As if the Prophet ﷺ had said it. Isn't it? But we know that he didn't actually say those words. But it was narrated as though he had said it. قَالَ He said, فَهَذِهِ قِرَاءَةٌ So this qira'a عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ On the Prophet ﷺ أَخْبَرَ ضِمَامٌ ضِمَام informed قَوْمَهُ His people بِذَلِكَ of that فَأَجَازُوهُ So this is why they allowed it. So ضِمَام when he heard when the Prophet ﷺ responded to him by saying yes ضِمَام went back to his people and he said this is what the Prophet ﷺ said. Just imagine it. Whether he said, I asked this question and he said, or he just simply said the Prophet ﷺ said such and such. In either case, he narrated it from the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ approved it. So because of this narration, the scholars, they have allowed it. Meaning they have allowed this process of transmitting knowledge. If in a gathering, the student is reading and the teacher is listening to him and he's correcting him. And at the end, the teacher says, yes, you have read fine. You have the right knowledge. This is correct. And the student says, so-and-so teacher said this to me. So-and-so teacher taught us this. It is okay. You understand why? Because the teacher corrected it. He affirmed it. Let's continue. وَحْتَجَّ مَالِكٌ And Imam Malik. He took the evidence of what? Of qira'a to the teacher. From what? بِالصَّكِّ by as-sak. What is as-sak? As-sak is a Persian word that has been mu'arrab, meaning it has been made Arabic. And it means kitab, writing, a document. And basically it's used for a legal document that has a contract recorded in it. That has a contract that is recorded in it. Such as for example, a check. A check that is made payable to someone. It has the person's name, their address, the money that is being given to who, so on and so forth. Everything is recorded. The date the amount, the recipient, everything is recorded. So a sak is what? Such a legal document. Now imagine if such a legal document is written and eventually there is some problem. So you take that legal document to the court and that document is read. So for example, the person who made the payment, he's asked, did you pay such and such amount? Did you write such and such? Did you sign on this? Did you agree to this? And he says, yes. He doesn't say, I wrote such and such. I made a payment of such and such amount. No. He's asked and he says, yes. Like in a court, the witnesses are brought. They're asked, did you see this happen? Did you do this? And they say, yes. So their yes is taken as a testimony. It is taken as a shahada. Isn't it so? Whereas they did not actually say the entire statement themselves. So Imam Malik took the evidence of qira'ah ala shaykh from what? As-sak. That yuqra'u ala al-qawmi. It is read before people, honor people. Fayaquluna, so they say, ashhadana fulanun. So and so testified before us. 
Okay, so and so testified. So they are not saying, okay, they are not saying. They just said yes, but on the basis of that, it's all considered a testimony. وَيُقْرَأُ ذَلِكَ قِرَاءَةً عَلَيْهِمْ And it is read, that is read, قِرَاءَةً as a recitation, عَلَيْهِمْ upon them. وَيُقْرَأُ And it is read عَلَى الْمُقْرِئِ Upon the one who is making to read. فَيَقُولُ So he says, who? الْقَارِئُ The reader. أَقْرَأَنِي فُلَانٌ So and so made me read. So basically this process is mentioned over here. What happens is that the person in the court, he says, you know, he's, he's asked or that document is read and he affirms it. He just says yes. Okay, so his affirmation is taken as a testimony. It's taken as an evidence. It's taken as a shahada. So this is why it is permissible that the student reads before the teacher. The teacher simply says, yes, okay, and it's as though the teacher said it. It's as though the teacher taught that knowledge. حدثنا محمد بن سلام حدثنا محمد بن الحسن الواسطي عن عوف عن الحسن قال he said meaning al-Hasan al-Basri he said لا بأس there is no harm بالقراءة with recitation على العالم upon the alim meaning there is no harm if a student reads to the teacher so we see over here that Imam Bukhari has mentioned the evidences of these scholars as well who said that it is permissible if the student takes the knowledge in this way. وَأَخْبَرَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ يُوسُفَ الْفِرَبْرِيُّ وَحَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ إِسْمَعِيلُ وَحَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ إِسْمَعِيلُ الْبُخَارِيُّ Who is that? Imam Bukhari. Who is that? Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari. Imam Bukhari. That is himself. Are you sure? Okay. So his student is writing this. قال حدثنا عبيد الله بن موسى عن سفيان. So Sufyan al-Thawri. قال he said إذا قرئ when it is read على المحدث upon the muhaddis. فلا بأس. So there is no harm أن يقول that he says حدثني. He narrated to me. So Sufyan al-Thawri also had the same opinion. قال he said وسمعت and I heard Aba Asimin, Abu Asim. Yaqulu he said An Malik from Malik was Sufyan and Sufyan Al Kiraatu Al Alimi that reading to the teacher Wakiraatuhu and his reading, meaning the reading of the teacher. Sawaun they are the same. So what did Imam Malik and Sufyan Athaudi say? That if the student reads to the teacher or the teacher reads to the student, both of them are sawa, both of them are the same. What does it mean by this that both of them are the same? Meaning both of them are permitted. They are valid ways of tahamulul hadith. It doesn't mean that both of them are at the same level. It doesn't mean that both of them are at the same level. Both of them are same in the sense that both are valid. Both are acceptable. But one is definitely more superior to the other. What is more superior? That the teacher is reading and the student is listening. That is more superior. That is much better. However, both are of equal value. And what's the evidence for that? The hadith of Dhimam ibn Sa'labah, which is mentioned. Why do you think it's being made such a big deal of? I mean, this is Kitabul Ilm, and you would think the virtues of knowledge would be mentioned over here and here. All these technical issues are being mentioned. This is a way, this is a methodology, right? Of transmitting knowledge, of learning knowledge, of acquiring knowledge. And both of them are completely valid. This is just like, you know, sometimes the students go and attend a lecture. 
and sometimes they're asked to go and write a paper or write an assignment. And the assignment, who checks it? The teacher checks it. The professor checks it. So both ways are methods of learning. And this is why it's mentioned in Kitabul Ilm. I think I just mentioned a story of uh, a sister who got ijazah from her sheikh in a particular recitation of the Qur'an. And she would read a portion of the Qur'an and he would read a portion of the Qur'an. She would read and then he would read. So it was the teacher reading to the student and the student reading to the teacher as well. Both ways were adopted. Inshallah we'll conclude over here. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.